Amen. A blessing to see so many kids in our church. Before long, we'll blink. They'll be getting married. And we have another round of babies coming, and we'll just think, wow, it just marches on. There's something my wife says I really like. She said, uh, anytime my kids have a little bit of turmoil with your kids, or maybe your kids have turmoil with my kids, because you know why? They're kids. And they want to bellyache about your kid or whatever. My wife always says, stop it. And this is probably one of the most profound things I've heard her say is like church mama. She said, we're called to do life together with them. So get over it. We're called to do life together. We raise us together. We go to church together. We might do homeschool together. We're going to do mission trips together. We have play dates together. We're called to do life together. So shut it. It's a pretty awesome word. Rather than let the enemy come in through your six-year-old and turn your adult heart against the other six-year-old's parents, the demons are pretty smart or not, and we're just a little dumb. <laughs> so you got to recognize kids are kids. That's why they have parents. And so we're called to do life together. So just deal with it. Grow up, grow on, move up. Amen. And I, I'm thankful that my children love our church and they love all of you guys. We don't tolerate belly aching in my home or running anybody down in our home. I don't give place to that. We're called to do life together. And if I let my kids belly ache too much, it'll get into my house. And uh, then we don't know where the end of that will be. It's insubordination. It's immature. It's petty. And sometimes it's outright demonic to let even your teenagers complain about what goes on at church. Amen. If there's a genuine concern, hear it. Then say, all right, that's enough. Now you're going to pray about it. Amen. You are going to pray about it. Well, I don't know how to pray about it. Well, I'm glad you're asking because it didn't feel like that when we started this conversation. Repeat after me. Father, Father. Do we really have to do this? Shut up. Pray after me. Father, Father, help us get along. Help us have compassion one on another. Help my brother. Help my sister. Help my pastor. Help my youth leader. Help the college leader. Lord, you called us to be together. If you don't stop it there, that little immature, typically it's teenage hearts that do this, begins to grow this little cocky, I'm better than everybody. Like, seriously, you can't even drive yet. The federal government doesn't trust you, and they trust stupid people. You can't even drive yet, and you think you can judge what's going on in the church accurately? You don't, you're still busting pimples, and you don't even brush your teeth every night. Your room's a total dump, and your grades stink, and you have discernment to go understand what's going on in a local house? Are you kidding me? So help your children not go to hell by teaching them how to pray and squash insubordination, insurrection, and really having britches way too big for them. Amen. Turn with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 23. We're called to do life together. So we, when we accept that fact, we shut everything else up. We're called to do life together, and we make it work. Amen. I'm reminded of, I don't know if it was Dutch Sheets or Richard Hanner, some great man of God at Christ for the Nations. This has been probably 25 years ago. I've shared this story before, but it comes to me right now. As you're turning to Exodus chapter 20, this is not our subject, but it'll fit with whatever we're saying and trying to squish right now. He was, uh, whoever this minister was, he was a a dean uh, of one of the schools at Christ for the Nations, which is a great Bible school in Dallas-Fort Worth. And over the course of a, a year or two or three, I don't remember all the details, he developed not just one bone of contention with uh, Frida Lindsay. That was Gordon Lindsay's widow who was running Christ for the nation. She's in heaven now too. He didn't just develop one bone of contention. I think he had like a whole snake of them. It's a lot of bones of contention because snakes have nothing but, you know, ribs. And usually when you have a bone of contention, it's typically a rib. It's usually a fish that you got caught in your throat, that bone of contention. Ah, ah. It's another good reason not to eat catfish. He, because he didn't guard his heart, he developed a list. I think it was like 13 things is what I remember. 14. There's nothing prophetic about that number, so don't go getting weird and Pentecostal on me. Just a big list of things he had against Miss Frida Lindsay and how she was running Christ for the nations. 
And he'd had all he could have, and he was going to go put her in her place. Respectfully, because, you know, she's an old woman, doesn't know what she's doing, and she needs help from the young men. And so he made an appointment to go see Miss Frieda. It took a couple days to get in because she or she is a widow running this massive Bible school, and you can't just drop in anytime you want. You know, when you can't just drop in anytime you want, you actually talk to God a lot more. And this is in the days before texting where you could just text anything you wanted, and hopefully the pastor gets back to you in the next five minutes. God forbid if he forgets your text or gets buried under 65 others in the next 30 minutes. <laughs> what am I going to do? Text God. I just feel like that's what we should do. Talk to Jesus. So he has this appointment. He has this list of everything he has against Christ for the nations, Miss Frieda's leadership, and he's ready to just go nail it to the wall like Martin Luther. Here's my 13 points of contention. It's my thesis, my 13 thesis against Christ for the nations. And he's geared up, and the Lord speaks to him and says, have you prayed about any of these? And the answer is, and understood, no, I haven't because I'm an idiot. So he says in the testimony, he said, all right, Lord, forgive me. Let me at least pray for her. There's a novel concept. You pray for your boss, especially when you work for a ministry that is training up missionaries for around the world. You should probably pray for your boss every day. So over the next few days, as he began to pray fervently for her, he said that list of 13, 15, whatever things, he said they began to disappear. And the Lord began to show me I didn't have proper perspective or this was a non-issue. He said, and by the time there was just two or three left, I honestly didn't even care anymore and realized I was the issue. And he said, so I canceled the appointment because there was nothing to discuss because God had dealt with me and I didn't have to deal with her. It's a pretty good story. Because, you know, when you're just like the dean of the school and you want to go correct somebody who's up here over the whole school and over all the inner workings and outer workings and the community and the publications and all that, your perspective is very limited. And, and it probably helps to do more praying than bellyaching. Because it's like the devil, he can hear when you have a bone of contention in your throat and he goes and just shoves a bunch more. And have you ever noticed when you're irritated... Everything from the point of irritation becomes another irritant. Is that right? Just in the natural. We're not even talking spiritual. You're hot. The air's not right. Kids are too loud. The dishes are a mess. That's the trifecta right there. And then everything else you look. Those cobwebs are giving me the fits. And why isn't that blanket folded just right with the tag tucked under like I like it? What is wrong with this household? Why, why can I see the splotches through the windows? What, did it rain for the last six weeks or what? Why, why, why is the laundry? Before long, everything makes you raw and irritable. And when you're full of grace, you don't care about any of it. So really what happens is it tells off on where you are with Christ. Not grace-filled, not prayed up, just a raw nerve where everything irritates you. And if everybody gets this way, when none of us are perfect, but when you live that way and you have children in your home, you pervert their upbringing because you become the minefield. And what will happen is they'll grow up to disrespect you, whether you're the mother or the father. And I've seen it many times. The, the parent who is the laid-back right one with God, he develops sign language with the kids. He usually he cuts the eyes. like, Or the kids come in, how's mama? she in one of those moods? About six or seven kids start to learn how to have to tiptoe around mom. And tiptoeing is great. It builds wonderful calf muscles, but it's horrible on the soul of a child. And if that person doesn't repent, husband or wife, mother or father, they're going to be put in their place pretty hard one day, publicly. And your kids won't respect you. And do you want that? Do you want your kids not respecting you? If you don't grow up, don't expect your kids to. It's a hypocrisy to expect your children to grow up and you won't yourself. Amen. All right, Exodus 23. Please let me stop pastoring so I can teach and advance your life. <laughs> Exodus 23. I hope this to be encouraging. Don't snicker. Please don't snicker because we're marching towards something better this year. We're getting over some things. 
Things we've dealt with for far too long. Things we've tolerated way too long. And we, this morning we used the analogy of cruising at an altitude that's unacceptable. It's time to pull back on that yoke and fly higher. Pull back, go up. All right? No more excuses. No more beating around the bush. No more circling the same stupid mountain. Whatever this thing is in your life, we've all got something. We're putting it to bed. We're killing it. We're marching on. So I have another message in line with that to help us. There might be a part halfway through my message where it is a little bit of a rebuke or maybe a little bit of a warning. But other than that, I hope this to be an encouraging message. But in the end, if you don't do what is taught, you can't be helped. If you go to the doctor and you don't do what he tells you, he can't do any more for you. If he schedules you for MRI, you don't show up, he can't help you. If he show, uh, schedules you for chemo, you don't show up. Dialysis, you don't show up. He cannot help you. The doctor has all the wisdom to help. He diagnoses you. He judges you. He strips you down naked. Somebody said, quick, I got to hurry up and put on my gown. Uh, I got to get naked and put on my gown before they look at me naked. I've had a lot of surgeries. I know exactly what that's like. Please don't look at me before I put on my gown, before you lift the thing up and cut me open. <laughs> I don't know what the gown is for because we're all, maybe you just want me to be unconscious before you look at me naked or something. But we all know what you're about to do here in 30 minutes when I go off into la-la land. You're going to look at me naked and just cut whatever you need to cut. <laughs> if you don't obey the doctor, his knowledge does you no good. If you don't obey the word, having it in your lap does you no good. Having it in your mind does you no good. You have to obey the word and be consistent. So here in Exodus 23, God is preparing Israel to march into their destiny. And we're going to principalize that for us tonight. 2023 has a destiny for every one of us. Part of that destiny is beating whatever this thing is. Whether it's obesity, whether it's debt, whether it's porn, whether it's unforgiveness, insecurity, you name it. We're going to principalize this because our destiny this year is to put to bed whatever the thing is the Lord's been dealing with, with us about the last couple services as we've been teaching this over and over again. And my point for it as a pastor is not just because I love you, not just because I, I want to harp on the same thing over and over again, but think about if every one of us in here shed five pounds of distraction or sin or insecurity, the whole of the church would come up stronger and we'd be a greater force for Christ in the earth. At some point, we have to be disciplined, not for us, disciplined so God could use us better, that he might be glorified. At some point, you got to stop realizing this is not about you. This is about glorifying God. So we're going to principalize this promised land as to what God has for us in this new year. And it's Failure is not an, uh, an acceptable option. It's, it's not what we're aiming for. We're not going to say, well, grace has carried me for the last 20 years. What if grace stops? What if as much as we've harped on this lately, this is your final pass? That, that always has to be there. I'm not prophesying that it is, but there's plenty of examples in the Bible when the Lord passed by, and that was the last time he passed by, and people missed it. Now, I want to hope better things, though we thus speak, but... Just take this serious. This has been every one of my messages about the last five, six, or seven messages. I have plenty of other things to teach on. And yet this is what just keeps burping out from a hundred different directions. So please take it serious. Furthermore, it will benefit your life too. All right. So Exodus 23, verse 20. God is preparing them to go into the promised land. Verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. That goes for us. There's a place God has prepared for us in this new year, a place of victory. That's been our theme. What do you need victory over? There's an angel prepared to take you into that place. Now, theologians debate, is this angel a supernatural angel? Is this angel reference applied to Moses are we talking about the Lord? The King James capitalizes angel there as if it is the Lord God. Others would argue and debate that this is the messenger Moses. I don't really care. There's somebody in your life, the Holy Spirit, the pastor, an elder, a discipler. There's somebody in there at your life to help you come into that prepared place. Verse 21, beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not. Let's apply this to the Lord Jesus and the scriptures and what he's been speaking to us. 
So beware of what you've been told. Let's principalize this. Beware of what you've been told, what you know in your heart you need to fix. Whether it's insecurity, whether it's lust, whether it's obesity, whether it's debt, whether it's laziness, whether it's anger, whether it's emotions, whether it's insubordination. I don't really care what it is. Everybody's got something. We're not going to interview you. It's between you and God. Just beware of what God has spoken to you. Here is a word of warning. Obey his voice. That's what God's telling you. Obey what he's told you to do. Quit playing patty cake with this thing. It's time to come up. It's time to grow up. Amen. With our children in education, they always have testing in the spring. Maybe it's in the fall now. I can't keep it straight. It's coming. Sorry, both. TCAPs, right? And others. All right. So when we know it's coming, we homeschool. So I know because mama starts running the kids through everything over and over and over and over again because there's a test coming and we don't want our kids to be weird or dumb. We want to prove to them that you can homeschool a smarter kid than public school can. So we prepare because the test is coming because we take it serious. That's this thing here. Obey his voice. Take this serious. Don't provoke him. How do we provoke God? By ignoring what he tells us to do. You provoke God by disobeying him. You provoke God by saying, well, you don't mean that. The Lord will do no good, neither will he do harm. That provokes God. For he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto your enemies. That's a wonderful promise. Obey God and he will fight your enemies for you. But the condition, all promises are conditional. If you don't obey God, he won't be an enemy to your enemies. But obey him, he will be an enemy to your enemies. Right now, your enemy is that thing he's dealing with you to beat and get the victory over. You have to view that thing as your enemy. You can't patty cake your enemy. You can't sit down for dinner with your enemy. You can't invite them in. You have to mark them and hate them, whether it's sickness and disease, whether it's lust, whether it's debt, unforgiveness, strife, division in your marriage, insecurity. You have to view it as your enemy. Because remember, he's going into the promised land here. These are your enemies. Mark them as your enemies. Don't make a covenant with them. Obey God, and I will bring you into the promise. If we don't obey God, the promises die. And we'll be the ones to blame. We can't be the sight-led Christian who says, well, I tried. It didn't work. You don't try. You do. There is no trying. There simply is doing. I'll be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries, for my angel shall go before thee and bring thee in unto the Amorites. This means that if we're led by God, he's going to take us right into the face of our enemies. What we try to do is either be buddy-buddy with them or run away from them. But being led by God always takes you right into the face of the thing you have to beat. Go face lust. Go face addiction. Go face unforgiveness. Go stand at yourself in the mirror if you're fighting obesity and just take it in. Stare at the scale and realize this is not acceptable. Even my doctor says this is killing me. Look at your bank statement. Ignorance is not bliss. Look at your credit card statement. If it's still 30 grand to MasterCard, holy smokes. Look at that thing. Post every month in front of you because the angel Lord is going to take you into the face of whatever your Amorite is or your Hittite or your Perizzite or your Canaanite or your Hivite or your Jebusite. But then he says, I'll cut them down. But if we keep running from whatever this thing is, emphasizing only our strengths as bad modern motivational leadership teaching teaches, then we're going to let these guys live in our land. We're going to tolerate them. We're going to think, well, you know what? The Lord anointed me yesterday, so he must be good with everything in my life. Never the case. Never the case. Just because the Lord used you doesn't mean he's happy with anything in your life. Verse 24, thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works, but thou shalt utterly overthrow them and quite break down their images. So you don't tolerate whatever this thing is he's assigned you to kill. You utterly destroy it. 
We don't play patty cake with the thing God wants us to hate. We don't make excuses for it. We don't make justification for it. Much of our society is still suffering under what we're suffering with, and they're trying to normalize it. Folks are neck deep in debt, and they say the solution is debt relief, debt cancellation. Sorry, TBN tried that 25 years ago. It didn't work for anybody, except for the preacher who was hawking it. So they think the answer for neck deep uh, tuition debt is let's just take the government's magic wand that has my tax money attached to it and just relieve your debt. Well, no, no, it doesn't get relieved. It gets placed somewhere else. Uh, we, let's normalize fat. And if you say fat is unhealthy, then you're a fat shamer. I don't care what you look like. We want you healthy. Your body's not designed to carry that herking mass. It's not good for your joints. You're bogging down your organs because they're not designed to carry all that. We understand how biology works. You store fat because you're having calories you're not burning. So you're storing it to be used at a later time. If you're carrying around a lot of calories, you don't need to eat as much. You already have the energy in-house. So, but what we do now is we normalize obesity. And the hypocrisy is something like HGTV or Discovery Channel. They have my fat, fabulous life. And the next show is my 600-pound sister. And then nip and tuck it or whatever, you know. Which is, is it fat and fabulous? Or are we watching 600-pound sisters die? Because you can't have it both ways, but you can. But you can't. They don't care about people. They care about ratings. And it seems like every couple months, some headline pops up. The star of my 600-pound life, a thousand-pound, my thousand-pound mama, uh, she dies. Well, we didn't see that coming. We don't make allegiances with our enemies. Not lust, not porn, not alcohol, not chemical dependency, not cigarettes, not vaping, not debt. These are the things that keep us out of our promised land. Verse 25, you shall serve the Lord your God. And he shall bless your bread and your water, and he will take sickness away from the midst of thee. Amen. That's a good promise. Of course, it, it's based upon serving your God, obeying him, and hating your enemy. You can't believe God for healing that's brought upon by poor body maintenance. You, you, you can't eat cheeseburgers, ho-hos, and ding-dongs, have a heart attack, and believe God for healing. You got to change your diet. You got to change your attitude. You got to change these things. I've helped a lot of people get out of debt, and I've told every one of them, God could bring you a million bucks tomorrow, but he won't because you won't learn anything. You got to walk with him to beat this thing. Amen. Verse 26, there shall nothing cast their young, nor be barren in thy land. The number of thy days I will fulfill. That promise is applied when you hate the right things, when you hate the enemies of your life and you hate the enemies of your provision and you hate the enemies of your health and you hate the enemies of your, that undermine your destiny. When you hate those things and you claim them as enemies and go after them, these are the promises that follow. Blessing your bread and water, blessing uh, your health, taking sickness away from you, uh, being fruitful, being non-barren, fulfilling the number of your days. He'll send his fear before you and will destroy all the people to whom thou shalt come. And I will make all thine enemies turn their backs unto thee. And I will send hornets before thee, which shall drive out the Hivite and the Canaanite and the Hittite from before thee. I don't know what the divine hornet looks like. <laughs> the Lord is creative with his curses. She bears, emirads, hornets. But apparently it's enough to turn whole armies to flight. I don't know if those are hornets the size of hummingbirds or hornets the size of falcons. But apparently they fight our armies so that you don't have to. But all of these promises that are so wonderful are contingent upon us doing the previous verses, obeying and marking the enemy of our life and calling it the enemy of our life. You can't make allegiances with your enemies and possess the land. 
So let's pause for a second. What's the thing you're dealing with? What's the thing God has dealt with you time and time again? What's the thing you snicker at when I preach against because you know it's you? Snickering is an insecure human being trying to cope with the shame they're under. Don't snicker. Hang your head in shame because you should be ashamed because God hates it and you flirt with it. <laughs> no, that's you. I'm talking to you. God's not pleased. When, my, when I deal with my children and they're not paying attention, I say, hey, look at me. I'm not done talking to you. We're not laughing about this. Can you not see my tone? Can you not see my face? You don't realize you're in trouble. Are you dumb? You're not dumb. Look at me when I'm talking to you. When I'm done, I'll let you know when I'm done. You talk to your kids that way? Absolutely. When they need it. The rest of the time, we're having fun. We're tickle fighting, nerf darting. I've told you, Miss Manda, she gets the biggest pleasure out of shooting her kids in the head with nerf darts. We had a bunch of nerf dart gun wars over Christmas. It's sadistic. She just gets to giggling. She shoots it in the, because the kids like to turn off in the dark. We can see them. They're not that good at night vision. We shoot them and you hear one of the kids go, ow, that's in my face. And mom is laughing. <laughs> Who was that? We know it's mama because she's laughing. She saw the boy's silhouette. She took aim for the head. She didn't even care where it hit. She felt good about herself. When God deals with us, you sit still and you listen. You don't snicker as some insecure schoolgirl who doesn't know how to cope with the shame she's facing. You grow up. You say, yes, Lord, that's me you're talking to. Please forgive me. I will be a better human being. I'll be a daughter that brings you pleasure. I'll be a daughter that pleases you. So what's this thing God's dealing with us about? We must mark it and hate it. This is the thing in the midst of our promised land. It's the thing that keeps us from going in. It's the thing that keeps us from having the fullness of God. For all these promises, if we don't obey them, if we don't cling to them, if we don't hold them, we die in the wilderness. Having the promises, knowing them, confessing them, declaring them, teaching our kids about them, but never holding them ourselves. Standing on the border, looking in across the Jordan, going, oh man, he's right. The trees are so much bigger. I can see the pomegranate from here. All we've had on this side for 40 years is manna and birds. Whatever we can trade and barter for with the Bedouins. But look at all that produce over there. I don't want to die knowing. I don't want to die tasting. I want to die living. Not die with some false confession without any depth behind it. I'll send hornets, verse 29. I will drive them out from before thee. Excuse me, I will not drive them out from before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field multiply against thee. By little and little, I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. I love this passage, that promise there. It gives us confidence in our battles against sin. There's no promise to get instant victory. Some things take little by little by little. It's the promise of God. He's promised them this whole land of milk and honey. He's promised them an angel to go before him. He's promised them hornets. He's promised them fear to go before them. You got three forces working in favor of them. This divine angel, this divine fear, and these divine hornets. And yet for all that, he could easily wipe out all those enemies at once. But he said, I won't. Because you have to grow into this. If he were to just send in the angel, the fear, and the hornets, the whole land would lie barren. And so Israel could begin to move in and fill the land like fingers do a glove. But what would happen is cities would fall into ruin. Vineyards would fall into ruin. Wheat fields would fall into ruin. Orchards would fall into ruin. He said, no, I want them to maintain it for you. So that when you take it, it's there for you to inherit. And you just step in right where they left off. That promise should encourage us that whatever we're beating this year isn't probably going to be totally beat by the end of January. And that's where we find encouragement. We may not beat it by the end of service tonight or the end of service January 31st or the end of February or the end of March or April or May or June. We may not beat it then, but we're well on our way. At least we cross the Jordan. At least we have our first battle. At least we taste victory. Realizing, praise the Lord, his promises are true. Where's the next battle? 
And then we move into little by little by little by little by little. Whatever you're beating, whether it's debt, like I told you, I've told folks, <clears throat> you're not going to get out of debt overnight. You're going to get out of debt little by little, disciplining your account, disciplining your spending appetites, knocking out debt. Now, this would be a good time if you have debt to go back and listen to financial stewardship on our pod school website. We don't teach you how to build a budget. That's another line of evidence, a line of teaching altogether. We teach you what the Bible says about wasting God's money. My job is to put a faith in you that says, I have to change. Then you go find what needs to happen in your life to change. There's no reason to live in debt. I understand big purchases like a mortgage. I would even tell you, let us not be fools when it comes to college debt. Capitalism has worked this thing out pretty sweet for us. Typically, the more expensive the school, it's not that good anymore. I was a geologist, still am, but I was a geologist for 10 years and consulted for another 10. Nobody asked me ever where I got my degree from. Nobody even said, so where did you get your degree? What kind of school did they have there? The last job I was offered uh, two years ago, I was offered to come up and manage a job at an airport. They had... I had done consulting through the first part of COVID on another job in Chattanooga, and I was doing it on the side to have money for a big offering, either for the West Wing remodel or something else. So I'd rubbed elbows with this contracting company out of Atlanta. They liked me. They said, you live in Tennessee. Can we pay you to come up and run the job? We're revamping an airport somewhere as a community airport. They never asked, where'd you get your degree from? They were going to pay me a whole parallel salary to what I make at the church, and I could work three days a week up there to do it. And I, it was tempting, not because I need the money, but why not make an extra hundred grand for three days a week work for a year or two? Why not? Well, the Lord didn't give me permission to, but they didn't care where I got a degree from. So I don't understand the lunacy of the last 30 years of college education and you chose the school you went to, you came out neck deep in debt, and you expect me to pay for it? So then I want to ask, all right, so then where's my compensation? My parents paid for my college because they saved up since I was born. Do I get a refund? Or are we only rewarding those who are irresponsible? Does that sound like kingdom justice? Reward the irresponsible? That's not justice. I thought we were all about justice right now. Justice doesn't reward irresponsible people. So when it comes to your debt, you're not going to get out of it overnight because you didn't get there overnight. You get out of it little by little. And if you don't live way beneath your budget, you'll never have enough money to get out of debt and you'll die in that debt. And until you master money, you can't advance in life. You just never will. But once you do master money, we could take it all away today and you'd have more in a month. But if you never master money, it doesn't matter how much gets thrown at you, you'll never have enough. And you have as much, as much, as much money today as God trusts you with. And it's enough to get out of debt with. So God won't get you out of debt overnight. You won't learn anything about it. God won't cause all the weight to fall off of you. You won't learn anything about food appetites overnight. He's not going to deliver you from lust overnight. You've got to learn to discipline your flesh, your eyes. You name it, he won't deliver you from it. You're going to have to discipline yourself. There might be the prayer line where we lay hands on you and all of a sudden you just don't want cigarettes anymore. Could be. Some of you have been delivered from cigarettes and whatnot in prayer lines. It wasn't even the thing we were praying for you for. God sovereignly did a miracle in your life. But that's the exception. If it hasn't happened, you keep disciplining your flesh. Little by little by little, you live a fasted life. Dr. Barclay would say, you go from 10 cigarettes a day down to nine. Stretch yourself for that ninth one. Make it like, man, man, okay, ninth cigarette. And then tomorrow, next week, go down to eight. And don't even give yourself an extra two if it's a really stressful day. And then you're down to six, and then you're down to five, and now you can make a pack of cigarettes last all week. Then you're down to two, and there'll come a day where you don't even want two. 
We're too busy looking for the spectacular that we miss the discipline of the miraculous. Little by little, little by little. Most of our Christianity in this nation right now is affected by the prosperity of the 80s where we're looking to get rich quick, come into our own without any work, without any trial, without any suffering, without any discipline. And we're still holding on to this windfall when the Bible doesn't even teach windfalls. Hear this promise, this 430-year-old promise. God says, we're here. It's not happening in a year. Little by little. Here we are, the closest we've ever been, and you'd think it'd be, charge. It's all yours. Take it, take it, take it, take it, take it. Like some kind of shopping spree. Remember those in the 80s? That was a freak show. That was poor folks running around a shopping with a buggy. Some of you are too young to remember. In the 80s, they'd have these shopping sprees, and they televised it. It was really like gladiatorial games for fat people because they'd make a big media thing of it, and they'd give them a buggy, and they'd say, you can get as many groceries as you can in 10 minutes, and you'd see people run faster than they'd run since middle school, and they're just going down the aisles, just putting their arm in and dumping all the baking goods into their buggy, and then all the eggs, and they had to be across the finish line. Remember those? It was a flesh fest. It was us receiving entertainment at someone's poverty and shame, because for those with a budget, those who were doing well, they're like, I don't want a part of that. I don't need a windfall for groceries. I got that budgeted. I don't even want what they just threw in their buggy. We, We made money and entertained ourselves off of poverty. We're better than that. We live disciplined lives. A disciplined life is a better life. All right, let's keep going. Verse 29. I will not drive them out. We'll say it this way. I will not destroy the enemy you're fighting overnight in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field be multiplied against thee. By little and little, I will drive them out before thee until you be increased and inherit the land. When you walk this thing out, you gain a momentum. And God is more interested in you being increased than you getting stuff. He's more interested in you increasing your faith and you increasing your confidence and you increasing your discipline because that will last you longer than him snapping a finger and all the weight being gone, all the money being in the account, all the kids being back home, all your mind being stable. He's, he's, he could do any of that. He's God. He's more interested in you and I growing up in him. So that's the key to all of this. Grow up in him. Be increased in him. And the more you're increased in him, the more this stuff falls to the wayside anyway. Let's say it another way. Wherever your battle currently is, is where your faith is the weakest. It's an area of your life that you've not mastered in Christ. And we don't say it to condemn you. We all have an area that we're still mastering. And the longer we're alive serving Christ, the fewer of those areas we should have. We should master money. We should master our body. We should master our appetites. We should master our thought life. We should master time management. Our life should be a demonstration of the kingdom and the mastery of all things created. There ought to be a difference between us and the pagan. We're the the God-filled ones, and yet we live like the world. If we move in among the Hittites, will they be able to tell we're not of them? There's a distinction that should be made. So he's more interested in us increasing than all of our problems be done away with. But as we are increased, the problems will melt and they'll fall away. We could use the example here of this glass of clean water. And we could uh, just take a handful of dirt and dump it in there, and the water would be muddied pretty quickly. The heavier stuff would settle out fast, but it would still stay murky. And there'd be one of two ways to deal with this. We could just dump it out and start over, which doesn't work for us spiritually, or we just keep pouring in pure water. Pouring in pure water would very quickly remove all the silt and all the clay particles, probably some of the sand. And if we aggressively poured in enough pure water, we could get the pebbles to float to the surface and wash out. It'd be cleaned up pretty quick simply by pouring in more of God and pour in more of God wherever you need him. 
We don't just snicker where we're failing as a weird, immature coping mechanism. We ought to be ashamed where we fail God. It should hurt our heart because it shows we genuinely love him and we don't want to fail him. Snickering is a coping mechanism that says, I don't intend to change. You don't change because you think it's cute. It's not cute. It's not. It's preventing you and your family from the promised land. All right, let me keep reading because then we want to make a big jump here. Verse 31. I'll set thy bounds from the Red Sea, even unto the Sea of the Philistines, and from the desert unto the river. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and thou shalt drive them out before thee. To me, this says, your life will have boundaries, and I appreciate that. It lets us know that the excesses of the faith message are in error. You can't just have anything. There are boundaries to your life. There are God-ordained limitations, which is wonderful. It means the sky is not the limit. There are limits in God. I shared with you, I think, last Sunday night or whenever it was about the faith assignment. How big could you believe God? And in those years, I was very missions-minded. And my vision at the time was to have a mountain bike and a backpack and travel around Sierra Leone and preach the gospel in West Africa outside Freetown. I finally actually met some Sierra Leoneans on this last trip. I'd never met anybody from Sierra Leone. I was in the airport and I found, where are you guys from? Sierra Leone, Freetown. Yeah, you surprised I knew where I was. I was going to move there once. Some monkeys inspired me. I saw a documentary. So we chatted it up at the gate. That was my vision. So I heard this challenge. How big can you believe God for? So I let my mind just daydream. And I told you, my, my, how big? How about an aircraft carrier full of helicopters and missionaries pull up to a port of call and just dispatch missionaries all over Cambodia? It feels like Nam all over again, you know? And then I thought, ooh, bigger. I want a fleet of aircraft carriers. How and you get wide-eyed and kind of charismatic. Thank God for boundaries. I've never even been on an aircraft carrier or a helicopter. And that, that imaginary vision's 25 years old now. I've got boundaries. I love boundaries. Because you show me my boundaries, I'll master everything in between. And then if you want to expand it, I'll take it. But why do we want more when we haven't mastered what we got? I'll give you boundaries. Thou shalt make no covenant with them. Those are the people he drives out, nor with their gods. Make no covenant with your obesity. Make no covenant with your lust. Make no covenant with your debt. Make no covenant with your insecurity. Make no covenant with your hatred, your animosity. Hate it that you would do something about it. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make thee sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto thee. God gives the purpose behind all of this. He doesn't want it to hinder your ability to serve him. I don't mean to keep picking on obesity. It's probably the most popular New Year's resolution. But do you realize your obesity hinders your ability to serve God? It does. Why don't say it to condemn you? Debt hinders your ability to serve God. Lack of time management hinders your ability to serve God. Anger hinders your ability to serve God. Lust hinders your ability to serve God. That's why we have to hate these things. We don't hate you. We don't hate you if you have these things in you or you're dealing with them. No, not at all. This is, this is a message of love that says God is saying, come up. The promised land is waiting. Just strap on your sword and let's do something. This is a very merciful message. I don't know how to pastor you any other way. I don't know how to look at you service after service, knowing you're still dealing with the same thing you were dealing with when I took over and think, well, let's just leave them in their mess. Let's just find a message that makes them feel good about being an American. Let's just let them keep suffering in their marriage and their kids. Let's just act like they're grade A sheep when they're not. I don't know how to pastor you any other way. So we're going to jump ahead here. If you want to turn to Deuteronomy. Here's the bad news. Exodus, you have five books of the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Genesis covers creation all the way up to the death 
of Abraham and Joseph, and Jacob, and all of them in Egypt. Exodus opens up with the Exodus, the coming out of Egypt 400 years after Joseph. Exodus and Leviticus are written over a two-year period of time and cover from the Exodus to two years after the Exodus while they're living at Mount Sinai. That brings you to the book of Numbers, which in the Hebrew means the book of the wanderings. And that covers 38 years in the desert. Deuteronomy is written about a year before they enter into the promised land because it's God getting his people ready to do what should have been done here in Exodus. So here's the problem. This was spoken to the generation that disobeyed it. In the book of Numbers, they go in to spy out the land. And remember, he said, don't be afraid of them. They had three promises. There's an angel going before you. There's a fear going before you. And you got hornets. I would love to know what that looked like. Do they come out of supernatural hives? Does the ground open up? Do they come out of heaven? You have three tools with you to even spy out the land. You're not even waging war. You're just walking through the land probably with the veil over your face, moving among the markets, taking a look at what God's promised you. Three things to your back, angels, fear, hornets, and we know they failed the test. So God tells them, you don't get it. This generation dies out. This will be for your kids. That's a Bible promise. I've seen it lived out in this church. Some of you, your parents didn't get it. You have an opportunity now, too. If you don't get it, you'll die out, and hopefully your kids will get it. But if they get it, they won't get it from you because you didn't get it. They'll have to walk with God for themselves. So you're in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 7. We'll begin in verse 16. The previous three or four verses talk about keeping the promises of God and he'll love you and bless you and multiply you and bless the fruit of your land, your corn, your wine, thy, con- thy oil, increase thy kind. He'll take sickness away from the midst of you and put none of the evil diseases upon you which you put upon Egypt. Verse 16, thou shalt consume all the people which the Lord thy God shall deliver thee. This is the exact same passage the Lord spoke 38 years prior, but this is a different group of people because the first group of people heard it but did nothing with it. That's my fear for us tonight entering this year. Because this kind of sermon has been preached many times in 15 years of me pastoring. And at the end of 2023, there will be people in this room who still didn't master anything. Your heart has to say, well, that's not going to be me. I mean, if we got this much preaching to our back, this is like, this is like sermon hornets right here. <laughs> This is sermon angels. I got this in my back. This is what God's saying over and over and over and over and over again, which means whatever your thing is, because I don't know what it is. You got to do it. You got to beat it. It's not acceptable to stay the same. It's not acceptable to live as a disappointment to the atoning work of Christ. You have the promises. You got the Holy Spirit. You got a Bible. You got New Testament church. You got the fellowship of the saints, the authority of the believer, sermon after sermon after sermon, and you just squat down like a cookful Christian. It's one thing to say, I want better. It's another thing to actually go after it because it takes diligence. So here's these promises almost verbatim 38 years later because the promise still stands unfulfilled. And God kept his word. He's going to keep it. He'll just just sit on the board and let another generation die out if they don't get it. Because the promise was to Abraham and his seed. And if you die out, there's a generation after you he'll give the promise to. He'll give the promise to whoever's willing to rise up and obey God. And if things aren't changing in our lives, it's because we're disobedient. That's all there is to it. Consume these people, which the Lord thy God shall deliver thee. Verse 16. Thy eye shall have no pity upon them. Have no pity upon the thing that hinders you. Neither shalt thou serve thy God, their gods, for that will be a snare unto thee. If thou shalt say in your heart, These nations are more than I, how can I dispossess them? 
Thou shalt not be afraid of them. Maybe in our heart we're saying, how can I beat this debt? How can I ever get over porn addiction? How could I ever beat alcohol or cigarettes? How could I ever have peace in my marriage? It's the same fear they faced. And God was trying to encourage them and say, I am going to be with you. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of the mountain in front of you. Don't be afraid of getting out of the debt. Don't be afraid of getting, uh, uh, losing the weight the doctor wants you to lose. Don't be afraid of putting discipline in your home. Don't be afraid of learning how to repent and say, I'm sorry. Amen. Don't say in your heart, I can't do this. He says, you can. You shall well remember what the Lord thy God did unto Pharaoh and unto all Egypt. Remember all the other victories you have. Remember all the other times God came through for you. Write a book of testimony where this time you have biblical permission to remember the former days. Remember all the things God did for you and all the times you obeyed him and he came through for you and he was faithful here and he was faithful here and he was faithful here. He'll be faithful with this thing as well. This says encourage yourself. Remember the great temptations which your eyes saw and the signs and the wonders and the mighty hand and the stretched out arm whereby the Lord thy God brought thee out. So shall the Lord thy God do unto all the people of whom thou art afraid. God will deliver you again from this new thing. It's going to take the same formula, which is prayer and obedience, praying and doing and praying and doing. We said this morning, get among people that have the victory in this area and submit your life to them. Not your whole life, this one area. If you want to get good at anything, you find somebody who's good there. And you say, show me. Show me again. Can I call you tomorrow? Can we talk about it again? Can I call you Thursday? Can we talk about it? Just be irritating if you have to be, because if you're desperate, you don't care to be irritating. Maybe you're too polite to be desperate. You should be desperate. <laughs> when dealing with missionaries, it's hard for some of them to ask for money. And then there are missionaries who just don't care. Uh, who was it? Our friend, Pastor Matt. Our friend, Pastor Matt Catanella. Pastor Matt is shameless when it comes to asking for gospel money. So he sent me a picture. He met Eddie George at some event out in Oklahoma. He said, hey, Brother Eddie. I'm a missionary. You want to give to my work? That's how he introduced himself to Eddie George. I ought to, I ought to find the picture and throw it up to you guys at the end of service. But he said he just doesn't care because I need money for the gospel. He's not afraid to be irritating to anybody. Oh, where's, oh he must have showed me on the phone at dinner when we were in Uganda. I don't have it. <laughs> when you're desperate enough, you don't care who you inconvenience. If your baby's dying, you don't care to outrun every cop in town and to storm into that emergency room, past security, past the nurse saying, no. Now, when you're a Southern belle and full of deception, you'll use politeness as an excuse to stay the same. Well, I don't want to inconvenience anybody. Well, then you're going to irritate your God. You got to change. You got to change. Verse 20, moreover, the Lord thy God will send the hornet. I'm glad that that promise still exists. He'll send the hornet among them. I guess the first generation didn't ever get to really experience that awesome power up. I would have obeyed God just to see what that promise looked like fulfilled. <laughs> I'm sure Kat, Joshua and Caleb are like, I'm going to live to see the hornets. I don't really care about a mountain. I just want to see hornets kill people. Those are giants. Everything in that land is giant. These hornets got to be the size of birds. I want to see what it does to a human being. <laughs> Until they that are left and hide themselves from thee be destroyed. They can run from you, but they can't run from the hornets. Can you imagine them being in a cave and all of a sudden the fear and the dread of hearing the horn, the, the buzz of the hornets that have been killing people, hunt them down and sting them to death wherever they're hiding from the Israelites. This is definitely a video worth watching in heaven. <laughs> Lord, can we see it again? <laughs> Did this go viral yet? This needs to go viral. Everybody needs to see this. <laughs> 
Thou shalt not be affrighted at them, for the Lord thy God is among you, a mighty God and terrible. Don't be intimidated about the, the opposition in front of you, the, the mountain of debt, the mountain of weight, the mountain of unforgiveness, the mountain of dread, insecurity. Don't let it intimidate you. God wants it gone more than you do. All he needs is your compliance, and he will begin to do the work in your life. And the Lord thy God will put out those nations before thee, little and little. Thou mayest not consume them at once, lest the beasts of the field increase upon thee. Exactly what we just read in Exodus 23, but 30 plus years later. Because the promise stands, and it's unmet, and the tools are the same. He just needs a willing generation that will go in and take the promised land. Maybe your family's name has been too lazy to get the victory over family sin. It's up to you. Why live your family, leave your family's sinful legacy to your children as an inheritance? Why leave obesity as an inheritance? Debt, ignorance, insecurity, mental illness, suicide, alcohol, addiction. Why, why leave that as a legacy? How about be a pioneer and give your generation and the ones after you a better legacy? Tell me stories about grandma. No, no, she died out there. Nothing worth talking about. Our legacy starts with obedience to God. If your family didn't obey God, there's really nothing much to be proud of. Remember this morning's sermon? I count it all but dung. The pride, if we can call it that, begins with obedience. Tell me about the first person in my legacy that obeyed Christ. That's what I want to hear about. Sometimes it skips a generation. We want to make sure we obey God. Verse 23, but the Lord thy God shall deliver them unto thee and shall destroy them with a mighty destruction until they be destroyed. He shall deliver their kings into your hand and thou shalt destroy their name from under heaven. There shall no man be able to stand before thee until thou have destroyed them. The graven images of their gods shall you burn with fire. Thou shalt not desire the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it unto thee, lest thou be snared therein, for it is an abomination to the Lord thy God. Does the thing you deal with does, does it make your heart hate it like it's an abomination? Because until you hate the debt, the porn, the greed, the lust, the fighting, until you hate it, you'll patty cake it, and it will stay in your life. And you won't know the promised land. You won't be able to climb higher in Christ. You have to hate it. You got to take inventory of it. Psalm 51 says, my sin is ever present before me. You hold it in front of you until it's no longer yours. Well, it's under the blood. Not if you're still living it, it's not. Well, I'm forgiven. You just committed it yesterday. You're going to do it again tomorrow. I don't think you're delivered from it. Let's talk about it. Well, that just feels ugly. It is ugly. Let's take a look at it again. Hold it in front of you until there's nothing left of it. Get familiar with it. Don't giggle at it. Snicker at it. Hate it. It's an abomination. Neither shalt thou bring an abomination into your house, lest thou be a cursed thing like it. But thou shalt utterly detest, detest it, and thou shalt utterly abhor it, for it is a cursed thing. Let this thing that we're dealing with, a lot of different things represented tonight, let it be a cursed thing to you. Let the greed be a cursed thing. Let the unforgiveness be a cursed thing. Let the short attitudes be a cursed thing. Let the obesity struggles be a cursed thing. Let the laziness be a cursed thing. Let the allergy you have to five o'clock in the morning be a cursed thing. Because if God dealt with you to get up at five o'clock, you need to get up at five o'clock. And maybe you're just getting home at five o'clock. Then this, that's not for you. Everybody's got something different. How long will you struggle with money? Let that be a cursed thing. How long will you struggle with, with I don't know, being inconsiderate of your spouse? Let that be a cursed thing. What is it? that's keeping you out of the promised land. You got to go after it. We have the angel of God for us. We have the fear of God before us. We have the hornet of God as the backup. How about we just say we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Scriptures, tongues, teaching. We got a trifecta working in our favor too. We're not killing anybody. That's not our story. We're killing sin. We're mastering our flesh. We're improving our life. 
Because if you don't change nothing, nothing changes. So this is a season to change. If you love me, change so I can teach something else. I mean, I really would. I was like, Lord, I could teach on this. Lord, we never taught on Levitical priesthood. That would be fun. Oh, Lord, the book of Jude. Let me teach on Zion. I got notes on notes of Zion. How about I'll put them out little by little. They'll have to believe me to get the victory over it. All right. Lord, I just finished a book, two years of research on plants. Let's teach on flax. If I'm still teaching this come April, I'm excommunicating people. <laughs> Four services a week is hard enough. Finding new ways to teach the same message, that is a mental acrobatic work. So let's get after it. But let me also warn you how we fail in this church. We get after it for a season. God takes us at our trajectory of faith and he goes quiet on the subject until enough people have failed him. Then he deals with me and says, they're disobeying me. Adjust this congregation again. And then you're like, why are you so rough on us, pastor? And I think, well, why are you so disobedient to your God? <laughs> when I have to spank Bud Bud, I'll say, why am I spanking you, son? Um, I don't know. You do know. And then he grins real coy like, because I was disobedient. Uh-huh. How? Because I yelled at Yaya. Uh-huh. And because I punched Abzi. Uh-huh. I make them confess. Why am I about to blister your bum? When the preaching gets hard, you know why it's hard. Maybe this year, if it gets hard, somebody could just say, Pastor, I just want everybody to know this is because of me. <laughs> we would all laugh and say, well, thank God. That humility there buys us a reprieve. Thank you, brother. Thank you, sister. Just fix it. I don't care what it is. Just fix it. Amen. Amen.